Episode 301, Improve Instruction One Brick at a Time. Hey y'all, welcome to the Empowering Educators Podcast. I am Gretchen, your host and expert lesson learner. I'm a national board certified elementary teacher turned teacher, trainer, and coach. All the lessons I've learned and am learning on my edgy journey, I share with you right here. From every silly mistake to the most glorious successes, you're going to hear stories and strategies that will inspire you to become your best. I have to warn you, as an educator, I can't help but hold you accountable for doing the work. So every episode, I leave you with practical, tangible next steps so you can implement your learning and maximize your impact. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, there's always a lesson if you're willing to pay close attention. Elite educators, that's the secret to staying in power. Bring on today's lesson. It's my favorite topic of all time. I'll share a story, a lesson, some practical tips because I want you to put it into action. You're not listening to this podcast just to pass the time. You're listening so that you can continue to grow, whether you're a teacher or a teacher leader. Well, happy October and all things fall, my favorite season of all time. My birthday's on October 8th. My daughter's is October 26th, and then we've got Halloween. So it is a jam-packed month full of fun. And this episode being one of my favorites just adds to that whole vibe. We also hit a milestone here at the Empowering Educators podcast. We hit episode 300, which I got to have my former coach on for that, which was really exciting. But I'm just so thankful that y'all allow me to come on the mic and share what I'm learning, whether it is pretty or it's ugly or it's fantastic or meh. It has been so much fun. This podcast was born on June 14th, way back in 2015. So we are eight years old, hitting episode 301. This is so very exciting. Thanks for learning along with me, putting up with me, listening to me, implementing everything, and near and far. I mean, the countries that you guys are listening from is so incredible. So appreciate you. All right, the rationale for today's episode. There are lots of fads that come and go in education. There's changes in curriculum or initiatives, but there's always one thing that remains, and that's strong instructional planning and execution. And that's why there's veteran teachers who have taught every sort of curriculum and had all sorts of principals and assistant principals in their time and have been through this initiative and this wave of this, and they're still standing and they're still incredible because they do the one thing they need to do well which is the instructional planning and execution. And so this episode, like I mentioned, applies to teachers. If you want to improve your own practice, I'm going to tell you how to do that. If you're a teacher leader, this is even more fantastic because now you can help tier your teachers who needs what and how do they need it to really hone in on the specific area of instruction where they're struggling so they can quickly improve and then boom, student achievement skyrockets. So I just want to set the scene. I don't mean to be... Um, Let's talk about me and and how great this went. I just want you to know that there was a progression. So I started out in the classroom and I had this natural ability. If you know my story, I dreamed since I was a little girl being a teacher, played it all the time, wrote my family into play with me. Every Christmas they gave me gifts from my future classroom starting way back in first and second grade. Like it's just been in me. And so I always had this natural talent and it needed someone to help come along and, and make it great and shine it up. 
And that was great in college and getting into classrooms. And when I finally had my own classroom, folks said, I can't believe this is your first year. And it wasn't that I was like so amazing, but it was like, you are getting this really fast or you're, you're showing some like natural ability here. And it's like, I've been prepping for this since I, I was little. So I'm glad to know that I'm kind of moving and grooving now. And so I was still in the new teacher mentor program in our district and I got a student teacher and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm still receiving support because I'm technically still new and you're going to give me somebody, somebody I have to teach to teach. Like, what's going on here? There are definitely people who are older than me, who've taught longer than me. And like, you definitely get it. You're a great bridge for the people who are coming out of college because you still speak that whole language of how you were taught. But you also have the application, the real life application. And that's really helpful for them. And so I did that for for years. And then we'd have visitors come see us in the building, you know, superintendents or other principals or, or whomever. And they would always pop in for a few minutes and they'd point out different structures that I was using or different ways I was managing the class or uh, just my presence. And then I happened to become this like unspoken model classroom. And so colleagues would keep coming. I remember a music teacher sat in my classroom and took such detailed notes because she taught the same kids in the school building. But they were different in my class than they were in her class. And she was trying to figure out why is that from the way the seats were sat and from where my directions came and, and how I had everything laid out on the board with instructions and how I had anchor charts with, oop, I need help. This is what I need to do before I bother the teacher. Like all those little teeny tiny things that I know y'all do too. And it was so fun to help people that way. But I still hadn't like figured it out. I still wasn't amazing. I was nominated for teacher of the year twice and didn't get it each time. So there was definitely some growth to be had. Like it was like I was good, but not not the best there, you know. And that's where the lesson came in is like, I didn't know what I was doing and why I was doing it. So that was a problem is it, it was hard for me to truly help people because I couldn't articulate well, I, this is just what I do and this is what I think and it just pops in my brain and I just do it and I do it in the moment and I don't plan for it and la la la. And that's really hard to replicate for someone who's struggling. I couldn't explain why it worked, why it was effective and what they needed to do differently. And I really struggled to explain it in planning when my colleagues were like, how do you do this? How do you set it up? And I'm like doing my best to explain and, and they're doing their best to do their version of it. But there was this disconnect still. It's like I still need to be shined up a little bit. And it wasn't until I started delivering professional development that I was forced to articulate a process for what I was doing. And shout out to Doug Lamov. He wrote Teach Like a Champion. We use that in coaching. And that was tremendous to putting a name to a, a technique a teacher was using. And it's like my mind was blown. Like, I do that. I do that. I do that. And now I had names for things. And it made it so much easier for me to describe what I was doing. And in his book, he explains why it's effective to do that. And so watching him explain great instruction helped me say, well, I can do that too. Okay, I do this thing over here. And it, I don't have a name for it. But this is why it's so helpful. And this is why it's so great. And it might look different in your classroom. But take from it what you would. And it just really started to grow. And I was able to go in coaching and see so many other great teachers. And of course, I found similarities like, oh, I do that right, or I do that well, or this person does it too. But then there were so many differences of how people went about it, but they were still really effective. And so that blew my mind. I was like, okay, there's not like a recipe here, but there are some foundational things that are going to require us 
to name them and expect them of, of us and each other. But what what does that look like? And so when I worked for the new teacher project, I was coaching only new teachers from kindergarten up to seniors in high school. And I started figuring out there's a sequence involved here. We can't just play whack-a-mole and try and fix this and fix this and fix this. Yes, everyone's going to have something different to work on. But there is actually a progression that if you fix this first, some of the other problems fix themselves. And that was groundbreaking for me. TNTP used like some rubrics. And so they broke up the essential aspects of instruction. And when working with teachers, I was like, okay, when they master this one before the other, like the order mattered. And sometimes we find solutions by just doing the dang thing. You know, it took me years to like put all these pieces together. And which is why I love this podcast, because you're going to skip all that. Just try it out and collect your success stories. And so if there's an obstacle you're facing, don't stress about getting it all figured out on paper and getting it all perfect. Just start tinkering with it and observing and then reflecting and adjusting. And it's going to show itself in time. And that's how I kind of stumbled upon, oh, this is what I'd been doing the whole time. But I couldn't really say what it was and why it was working and why it's essential to do this before doing this. And then it all just whew, came together. Hey, y'all, popping in here real quick to remind you, if you are loving the podcast, hop on over to iTunes to leave a star rating and type in a few words for the review. This helps other educators find the show so they, too, can be empowered. Lots of love and thanks. Now back to the show. And so you're probably wondering, what the heck are these essentials? Just tell me. Tell me what I need to do. You leaders listening are like, yes, tell me. How do I help this teacher? And this teacher over here needs something else. Like, what is this order? And this is going to help you prioritize this for yourself. So I'm going to go through, and I call them bricks. Just like you're building a house, you have to start at your foundation and get that brick just right before you add the next brick. And the problem is not that you all listening don't know what these bricks are. You know them. You've sat in on PD. You've done them yourself. Sometimes you do them well. Sometimes they're mediocre. But the order matters. And you not being in denial about how great you're doing them on a consistent basis matters. And I know that's so hard to hear because there are days where I'm like, mm, I need to go back to brick one. <laughs> you know, like here I am teaching a decade and I still need to go back to brick one. It's not like you're this loser and horrible teacher. It just means there was a missing piece and everything else started to crumble because of that missing piece and you got to go backwards. So think of this as more of a cycle. And you move through the levels, each lesson and each class that you have. All right, lesson design is first. So think about putting on a play all the details like enter stage right exit stage left use this tone of voice at this portion face this section of the crowd at this stage and you know all the stage directions in addition to the actual words and props and actors and a lot of us when we're planning a lesson plan it's like okay i know i'm the teacher okay that's the actor i know my props which are my materials and i know some of the some of the words i'm gonna say which is on my lesson plan but you don't think about all the directives that happen all the behind the scenes that's required to make this come to life your lesson plan is just a sheet of paper it's to organize essential information but designing a lesson requires a lot of intentional planning that doesn't even end up on your lesson plan most of the time like transitions and higher order questions you're going to ask and specific students you're going to call on or you got to check in on or when you need to pull a small group and who's in the small group and what you're working on and when you're going to circulate versus staying in the front and queuing up all the websites and the materials needed in the exact order so you can 
distribute them quickly or students do that. The ideal answer you're looking from specific questions or specific students to signal it's time to move on in the lesson, timestamps to pace the lesson, different callbacks you're going to use, extension ideas, or ways to see it differently when they're just staring at you like, I don't know what you're talking about, lady. There's so much prep, extensive prep. And you might think like, I cannot do this every lesson, but you can. It's going to become a habit. It's going to become a way of thinking and doing. And then you can repeat a lot of the systems and strategies and just swap out the content. So you don't have to create everything from scratch every time. But yes, in the beginning, until your body and your brain get in the habit of thinking to the level of detail, like you're putting on this amazing play from start to finish. Yeah, it's going to take a while. It's a new muscle. And it's like, whoa, I hadn't really thought about down to the detail. And it's like, it matters. If you do it one time and you think about how well your students thrived and you think about how well and present you were in the moment because everything was already figured out, you are able to have such a bigger impact because of that. And I know you might be thinking, I just can't sustain that level of thoroughness. All right, well, let's work up to that. I mean, I'm not asking you to go run a marathon. Like, let's just run a lap, you know, and then we're going to add another lap and until we get it going. So here's what I want you to know. My lesson plan book when I started teaching looked like a monthly calendar with like a tiny square place. And I put like a page number or like a topic and that was it. So I'm definitely preaching to myself of how I had to learn over the years. Like that's, that's not going to cut it. And, you know, honestly, even if you write a really fantastic lesson plan, you might still struggle in execution. So regardless if you have the actual piece of paper or you wrote this stellar lesson, I mean, the odds are going to be in your favor if you've thought it through and you do have that paper. But really the powers when you're internalizing the flow and the sequence of what's happening and your execution of that is top notch because you planned for it to be. You've thought of all the nitty gritty details, dotted your I's, crossed your T's like it's on. Uh, Brick number two, classroom management. This is prevention over being reactive. And this ties so closely to designing your learning experience. I mean, you're thinking through the hot spots. Who's going to get distracted at this specific point in the lesson? How are students physically turning and talking? What's the noise volume? What are the movements? What is the pace of the transition? What clear directives for the assignments or the activities? Because I want to avoid confusion in the side conversations. I'm going to give discussion prompts so they know exactly how to talk with each other. I'm going to have an anchor chart that says I'm stuck. Now what? So that they don't have to constantly be bugging me or each other. I mean, it's less about managing people and how they're sitting and blah, la 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 la. But it's all about managing the space and the flow of instruction. So control what you can control, which is that environment piece. So if you're watching great teachers teach, you rarely see them have to address those misbehaviors. Or you rarely see things like get out of control because of all the intention they put into planning and execute the lesson. And nothing's really a surprise to that person. And if there is a surprise, they're able to handle it because they're present, they're well-planned, they're not in their brain thinking what's next or what page or fumbling for papers or like, oh, that website's not working. They plan in case that stuff happens. They're prepared, they're ready, they prep the environment, they set students up for success, they encourage and support and guide. It's already built in. And there's gonna be hiccups and a one-off incident. But you gain so much time for instruction and learning because of how you set up your physical space and how you and your students operate within it. So let's go to brick three, student engagement. This is the fun part. 
And many people want to jump right to this. And they're in denial that there may be some other areas in either the design phase or the management phase that need to be tweaked. But engagement will not happen well if the other areas, the other bricks aren't as strong as they need to be. So this is about setting the expectation for three things, how students engage with you, the teacher, how they engage with each other, and how they engage with the content. So whether it's their, an activity or the whatever they're learning. So placing engagement stops is what I call them, like little, little moments to engage before moving breaks up your lesson in a way that, okay, they're sitting and they're learning and they need a physical break, but it also allows the brain to process that newly learned information and store it in their memory. This helps you later, so you don't have to reteach as much. And I'm telling you, you don't have to run a three-ring circus because one year my principal required like seven stations and I'm like, I can't, this is not great teaching. I'm so focused on having enough stations and enough activities. I am not focused on the most important thing. Is stuff aligned to what I'm supposed to be teaching? Am I able to have quality time with each kid? Am I delivering the instruction that's necessary? Like the focus was just so wrong, um, but they really needed those kids to be engaged. And I'm like, they can't be engaged until we get these other two bricks corrected. And so that's when things started getting figured out on my end of like, there's a process here. And so we want to make sure that they have time to process and you don't have to have 75 million different engagement strategies. Just pick a handful and you'll get really good at them. And you and the students can use them in various subjects and it, and it still feels fresh because the content is changing. You're not going to work without a thorough plan if you don't sit down and do it, right? <laughs> if you cannot get to engagement without that great plan and without the preventative management in place. So when folks say, oh, I really want to try this cool thing or use this new tech tool, and it's like, great, but like, what does brick one and two look like? Like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but I'm like, no, we're not ready. You can give it a go. It's going to be a mess it, or it's going to be good and not great. But what if we fix brick one and two? And since you've already spent a lot of time on one and two, it's probably not a full brick that you need to fix. It's probably little pieces, nicks here and there that we can fill in. And then we can race to brick three and just have so much fun. There's, I'm still working on encouraging folks to be really honest with themselves. And so brick four is student ownership. So it's time for students to fly and to thrive. And when you plan thoroughly, and you manage a classroom through those systems and procedures, and you engage students often and in practical ways, students are ready to step up as leaders. And this is the freedom that they've been looking forward to and they've earned. And so have you, honestly. Student motivation and their participation increase when they get more of a say, that freedom and flexibility. I mean, autonomy, it's such a motivating factor to human beings. Choice and having a voice and operating in purpose. This is all so great for helping both teachers and students become the people they were designed to be. And when the class is run by the class, it frees up the teacher to teach. What a thought. I mean, self-run centers and student-led announcements and student tech support specialists and book clubs without teachers and on and on it goes. When they are ready, when bricks one through three are rock solid, you are ready to have some fun. My class ran when I wasn't there. The sub obviously had to show up and, and be there, but they just facilitated and they would always write notes like, I cannot believe how much your students are capable of doing. I can't believe how much they know the routine. And I stopped looking at your sub plans and I just let them do their thing because 
it was so much better than what I was even able to do. And I'm like, wow, not hats off to me, hats off to those kids who stepped up. And because we had been doing it so long and we've been doing everything in the right order, it just was like time to shine. So I was so proud of them for growing up, you know, for taking the reins and and really having a great successful day even when I wasn't there. Everyone had a part to play. You cannot get to this phase with wishy-washy plan and execution or student buy-in. This takes so much time, a lot of time. Let me tell you, these four bricks can be laid down quickly and rushed through the process to prove that you're amazing. Like, I did it. Four bricks. One, two, three, four. But I'm going to remind you of homes that were built fast and they cut corners and it comes falling down. So it's just better to go slow. Do it right so you don't have to do it again. Reflect on where you're having the most trouble and go treat the root. And it's probably way back in lesson design. I hate to tell you that. You're not a horrible teacher because you have to go back to brick one. It's your foundation. It's the most important to keep an eye on. Don't get lazy. Your expertise is only going to get you so far. Kids are smart and they're ruthless. They are going to come for you when you have those gray areas because you didn't plan well or you're, you didn't quite figure out the management process. I mean, there were years I hung out at brick three. I never got any further because getting kids to engage at deep levels took so much modeling and prompting and feedback. And listen, this one really hard year I stayed in brick two until May. May! It's a two-way street. The class composition had a big part to play, uh, admin support, the district focus. There's just so many factors. But you now know what it takes to be phenomenal and in what order. So start hacking your own instruction, fixing areas in each brick to make them stronger and more sturdy. And then you are going to catapult to the fun bricks of three and four. So if you love what you're hearing, I share this in much more detail with tons of examples and stories. Just pre-order my next book, Always a Lesson, Teacher Essentials for Classroom and Career Success. I talk all about that four bricks, lesson design, classroom management, student engagement, and student ownership. I'll put the link in the show notes to pre-order. There is a book study to come, so stay tuned. All right, Elite Educators, that's a wrap for this week's podcast on improving your instruction one brick at a time. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. (laughs) 